Eureka Springs is a little tourist town nestled in the Ozark Mountains. Population, just over 2,000, not counting the supernatural folk. The town is a hotbed of paranormal activity and has been for as long as people have lived here. Guess they can thank the mystical energy from underground springs for that. All manner of monsters seem drawn to it. When bad things happen that normal folk can't explain, I look into it. My name is Vincent Van Getty. By day, I'm a newspaper reporter for the Lovely County Record. By night, I'm a paranormal investigator looking into all things that go bump in the... Well, you know. It's Season 3 of Ozark Whispers, so if you're just tuning in, go check out Seasons 1 and 2. These episodes will be here when you get back. Sitting inside the mechanic shop as I waited for her to replace my window, I looked down at my feet where a fey hound slept soundly. I'd been back in Eureka Springs for a couple days now and had finally found the time to repair my vehicle. It had the window shot out by the former spring court champion during an attempt to assassinate me. I say former because Suma, the fey who tried to murder me, was now Mermaid Chow. That solved one problem and created two more. Now I was in debt to the mermaids up in Lake Leatherwood, and I still had no clue where July was, the missing member of the Autumn Fay Court. The waiting room of Tiffany's auto repair consisted of a couple black metal plastic chairs, an ancient red leather couch, a cheap coffee maker, and a coffee table with one broken leg that had been replaced with half a golf club. Tiffany was resourceful, to say the least. But she also had a free slot on my lunch break so I drove over here because she promised to replace my window in an hour. The smell of cooking meat wafted in through an open window. I looked over and saw the Mexican restaurant where I planned to get some takeout after my window was replaced. How did I afford to fix my car and eat out on a journalist's salary? Let's just say the lovely county record didn't give me a pay raise. But Queen Fomar, the autumn lady who finally saw me not having enough money was a hindrance to doing my job, established a monthly stipend for me. Don't get me wrong, I'd prefer not to have this gig where I got shot at and faced death to solve fate problems. But if I am going to have a job, having a few extra Benjamins show up on my kitchen counter every month really does come in handy. My monthly stipend just came yesterday, along with a note reminding me July was still missing, and her noble parents wanted her back. The queen was politely reminding me her patience has limits. But I'd exhausted all my leads. I searched through hundreds of rooms and hallways at the Endless Hospital while pushing that murderous mermaid around. And I didn't see July. The police report I'd read said she had been stabbed outside Tanya's Pizza. But the wound must not have been serious enough for her to be whisked away to the Endless Hospital like I was. Police still hadn't identified the homeless man that stabbed July. They hadn't found her, either. I had no clue if she was even in Eureka Springs anymore. She could be in another realm by now, for all I know. 
Some of the sacred springs scattered around this mystical city do act as gateways to other worlds. I'd thought through every possible scenario I could think of, and just couldn't figure out what had happened to July. I needed another clue. And call me Little Miss Muffet, because along beside me came a spider who had my clue. My normal reaction when I see a spider is to kill it, its friends, its family, anyone it spoke to, and burn down the building I found it in. But as I saw this one dangling from a web attached to the ceiling about five feet to my right, I could sense this wasn't a normal spider. For starters, it was bright green, and I could even feel a little bit of magic radiating from the creature. Then it spoke with a hissing, whispering voice. Hello, Autumn Champion, it said. Now don't roll up that magazine and smush me. I have an invitation for you. There's an auction tonight at Sunset Manor. My master, Count Oglington, says one treasure will be of particular interest to you. I narrowed my eyes. By now, Saloja's ears had perked up, and the white and biscuit-colored Samoyed was staring at that spider intently. I couldn't blame him for being paranoid. On his watch, I'd slipped off to a parallel dimension, and been whisked off to the Endless Hospital. He was glued to my side now, and paranoid of everything. What time, I asked, and the little spider messenger told me sunset. Of course, I should have figured that much. Sunset Manor was a large mansion up on Holiday Island, a fake town where rich people lived north of Eureka Springs. Much to the disappointment of residents there, the town had failed to incorporate due to the proximity of other towns. I don't know. Arkansas laws are weird to this Oregonian. Towns can't be too close to each other or something. Anyway, they were bitter about it. Oh, and make sure you're dressed a little better, mortal. My master hates sloppy dressers. Kills them on sight, the spider said, starting to climb back up to the ceiling. Silogia wasn't having that. He snapped his jaws around the spider and swallowed it. I asked the Fey Hound if he thought that would get our invitation revoked. He just stared at me, not seeming to care one way or another. It probably made the Hound's job easier if I wasn't at an auction full of supernatural beings that might want to kill me. Just as Silogia got comfy again on the tile floor, in walked the mechanic. She had short-cut black hair and took off her gloves. The mechanic was wearing a pretty standard blue jumpsuit. As the door closed behind her, I could hear noise of the auto bay a little louder. She rang me up, and I thanked her profusely for getting me in so quick. She handed me my keys, and then scratched Salusia behind the ears while the fearsome autumn court hound rolled his eyes and tolerated her baby talk. We walked over to the Mexican restaurant across from Quarterstone Bank on South Main Street. After I had my carne asada in hand, and Solosia had a long, thin piece of steak in his mouth, we walked back to my repaired car. Pulling out of the lot, I looked at Solosia and said, You really hate this mortal assignment, don't you? Everyone treating you like a common house pet instead of a fearsome fey hound. My guardian growled and showed Fang, but he did not lunge over to my side of the vehicle and tear my throat out, something I was sure he'd done in a previous assignment under Queen Fomar. Nothing to be done about it. Americans love puppers. 
So unless you want to blow your cover in the mortal world, you'll just have to deal with everyone finding you adorable, I said, mocking him. In response, he tore open the top of my styrofoam container and took out a piece of my steak to get back at me. I'm telling you, nobody in this autumn court has a sense of humor. And now my lunch was uneven. I had two pieces of beef and three tortillas. Life is just unfair sometimes. I got back to the newsroom and Rex growled at me for taking a little longer than my one hour lunch. I swear one of these days that Texan's blood pressure was going to explode his head, and he'd fall dead before my feet. Either way, I took my verbal beating and went over to make some phone calls. I was working on a story about widening ditches in the northwest part of town. Local property owners were upset, but the city said it had the land rights to increase ditch sizes by two feet in an attempt to increase drainage and prevent flash flooding. Ah, small town journalism. By 5.23pm, I'd sent in my final copy and gotten it approved begrudgingly by Rex. So I clocked out and drove back to my loft above Gina's cafe. She'd actually closed up the restaurant this week so she could go camping. Walking in the front door, I saw everything clean, and a little sprite wearing a flowing red dress was dusting off a bookshelf. She had spiked orange hair and flew over to me on two dragonfly-looking wings. Her name was Avalon, and she was sworn to serve me under Queen Fomar's orders. Mostly, she taught me minor magic, and occasionally did chores when she got bored. Solosia hopped up on the couch and napped while I explained to Avalon that I needed a swanky suit for a supernatural auction. I'd be attending tonight at the home of some nut named Count Oglington. Oh my, you've been summoned to the home of the Spider Lord, she said, and explained the Count was a powerful Fey Spider Lord from the Fey Realm. He served no particular court, and was instead what you would call Wild Fey, creatures powerful enough to stand on their own without the protection or desire to join a court. I walked over to my fridge and opened it, pouring out beer. My evening was quickly growing more complicated, and I needed one. Avalon said she would return in half an hour with a solution to my suit problems. I definitely didn't want to get killed on sight for not being fancy enough. Thinking through this evening, I figured the treasured item had to be July. I don't know how this count captured her, but he likely knew, as a member of the nobility in the Autumn Court, she'd have value as a hostage so he wanted the Autumn Champion to attend and start a bidding war. I didn't know what kind of currency the Count would expect everyone to pay in tonight, but I doubted I had anything of value enough to free a Fey noble hostage. If anything, the opposing courts would be there to purchase her and ransom July off for a higher fee from the Autumn Court. It was like guaranteeing a sweet payout. Trying to figure out how I'd win the auction and save July, I realized this wasn't a problem I could tackle head-on. I'd have to be tricky and attack from the flank. Typical Fey maneuver. Lord, what was Queen Fomar's magic doing to my mind? I'd have to worry about it later. Right now, I had to make a phone call. So I stepped into my bedroom and dialed a phone number I hadn't called in some months. Hey, it's me, I said, and had a quick chat. Tonight was going to be about favors and debt. I finished my beer tossed it in the recycle bag, and Avalon called from the living room. When I walked in, I was greeted by one of those nylon cases you hang up with suits inside. It was lying across the couch, and Solosia had moved to my bed. <laughs> what was I thinking? Our bed.
Opening the bag, I was greeted with the smell of leaves and moss. Avalon had popped into the Fey realm to snag this suit. And what a suit it was. A black and silver tuxedo looked back at me, complete with cummerbund. The sprite informed me it was made of spider silk and would withstand an attack from just about any blade, magic or not. You know, I could really use a pair of jeans made out of this stuff. And definitely a few t-shirts as well, I muttered, trying it on. I found it fit me like a glove. As I stared at Avalon trying to figure out how she knew my measurements so accurately, she said, Oh, I didn't measure you. Solosia did. I nodded for a second like that answer made sense before realizing it made the matter even more confusing. I didn't have much time to think it through, though. I thanked Avalon for her help, and asked for one more favor before I left with Solosia for the auction. Will you go meet my friends at the Rough Ride Beaver Bar across town and give them whatever they need for tonight? I asked her. She nodded and flew off to do that. Solosia just looked at me as I twirled around in my tux. I didn't often dress up. If I was going to a fancy event to cover it for the paper, I'd put a tie on my button-down shirt, one of those clip-on ones. That was about as fancy as I got. If I needed a suit, I'd typically just head down to a thrift store and see what was available. I wasn't probably going to be featured in Fancy Digest magazine anytime soon, but you never know. How do I look? I asked Solosia, and the dog gave a little scoff. I rolled my eyes, and we walked out to my vehicle. About 20 minutes later, I pulled up to a mansion on Table Rock Drive. The French Normandy architecture was apparent in the three-story mansion that even had its own spire. This place must have had 15 bedrooms. It was huge! And I knew even if I worked for all my life, I could never afford a place like this. Not on a newspaper salary. Maybe I could tell Queen Fomor I needed a raise for living expenses. drove up to a large metal gate where a muscle-bound, huge guard equipped with a clearly visible gun looked inside the vehicle with a flashlight. He gave me the once-over and decided I apparently was dressed well enough not to die on the spot. He stared at Solosia for a few seconds, and I said, Bodyguards, can't get one moment of privacy, am I right? This particular guard wasn't amused by my antics and waved me through with the most minor hand motions possible. Showtime, I muttered, parking in the grass along with several vehicles that had not been shot in the last few days. Probably. Walking up to the front door, I found a woman in a black dress with a clipboard. Name, she asked, brushing her long brown hair out of her almond eyes. Vincent Van Getty, I said, as she found me and nodded. While in the home of the Count, you are under his guest right. Keep aggressions to a minimum. And if you have a conflict with another guest, you must leave the home to settle it accordingly, the woman explained. I nodded. It made sense. Guest right was super important to creatures of the Fey Realm. You almost always wanted it established before you went into a stranger's home. It would ensure your protection. Creatures of the Fey Realm were tricky and loved a good loophole, but guest right was something everybody took seriously. To lose your honor by violating guest right might just trigger a supernatural war. It certainly led to fake courts going to war in the past. I'd have to be on my best behavior here. Well, except for when I got ready to leave. I walked into the mansion and was greeted with the scent of several otherworldly herbs I could not place. 
There must have been twenty to thirty guests spread out on the staircase in nearby rooms. Lowborn face servants walked here and there, drinks on silver trays. I politely declined one and looked around the place. Everyone here looked like a million bucks, which I bet they could easily blow at the auction tonight. Vampires, banshees, fey of different courts, and I'm pretty sure I saw a reaper or two. This count really drew an eclectic bunch. Then again, it was a supernatural auction. And then the Count approached me. He looked like that villain from Monsters, Inc., walking around on six thick legs and using two upper arms to hold a couple drinks. His solid black eyes and gray flesh made him a fearsome sight to behold. Ah, Vincent! I'm glad you got my invitation. Welcome, welcome. I hope you're ready to bid big tonight, he said, with a quiet hiss of his own. It made my ears itch. I nodded and engaged in some polite chit-chat, thanking him for his invitation. Then he was off to mingle. I leaned against a wall in a room filled with a small group of Valkyries. That's when a black woman with lots of braids in her hair walked over to me. Solosia moved to get between us. Hello, Autumn Champion. I've wanted to meet you for some time, she said, with an accent I couldn't place. Her chestnut eyes looked me over as I examined her white pantsuit with a long blade clipped to the back. Sensing her magic, I quickly put together this was the summer court champion. I tensed, remembering Suma. Oh, relax, party boy, the summer champion said. We are under guest right. No need for conflict tonight. Not that I fear conflict with you. She looked around the room and then told me without any mermaids nearby, I posed little threat. Cute. The summer court champion left me with her name, Susanna. And I hoped never to run into her again. She felt much more powerful than Suma. Eventually, the count called for everybody to move into the downstairs ballroom and to begin the auction. I was about to make a remark about the mansion having two ballrooms, when Solosia grabbed my pants leg and pulled me forward. The ballroom was magnificent, and must have been about 75 feet by 75 feet. Wooden chairs with red cushions had been provided for everyone, and Count Oglington stood at the front of the room, in front of a large red curtain. Tall windows filled the left wall, and monsters took their seats in neat rows. Amazing how money makes monsters appear tame, I muttered, before taking an end seat in a middle row. The Count thanked everyone for coming as he stood up by four bodyguards, each armed with rifles. He explained the format, that his servants would bring out an item, and folks would bid on it with whatever they brought of value, be it cash, gold, treasure, or something else. But there weren't going to be any checks accepted tonight, I figured. The first item wheeled out was a literal human heart inside of a glass case. The pink muscle sat there beating with its valves and veins. I didn't want to know who it belonged to or how that was possible. And I figured that wouldn't be the most gruesome thing I saw tonight. But it ended up going to a vampire in the first row. The night went on with stolen art, cursed objects, and even weapons being bid on. 
When I was beginning to wonder if I'd misunderstood the Count's words about my interest, he brought her out. The Autumn Court woman I assumed to be July stood with iron cuffs and chains, her feet and wrists bound. The flesh around them was gray and burned. Smoke hovered around the cuffs and my blood began to boil. July looked like she'd been kept in a cage. Her long orange hair was disheveled and she had a bruise on her left cheek. There was a large scar on her right leg where a gash had healed somewhat. In all, she looked to be in her teens, but with the Fae, I could never be sure of age. Appearances were often deceiving. It took everything I had to keep from rushing to the front of the room to tear the chains off her myself. But I had to keep my cool. I could not violate guest right and risk dragging Queen Fomar into a war with a spider lord. Not yet. I took a deep breath as the Count looked right at me. He opened the bid, and a vampire offered $500,000. Then the summer court champion offered at least twice that value in gold. They went back and forth until the summer court was about to win their prize. Going once? Going twice, the Count said before I raised my hand and stood, taking a deep breath. My heart was hammering, but I knew my plan. I was wondering if you were going to bid, the Count said. There was silence. Everyone in the room turned to look at me. The Count asked how much I was prepared to bid, and July's green eyes locked with my own. She did not look like she had much hope. I will bid the lives of everyone here, I said, slapping a big smirk on my face to mask fear. The monsters around me frowned like I was mocking their night of fun, and Count Oglington shushed folks who had begun to mutter. You bid our lives, he asked. I nodded and explained that if they freed July into my custody, we would leave, and they would be allowed to continue breathing. That angered several folks, but the Count looked amused. That is, until he heard a chorus of werewolves howling outside the manor. That would be a pack of about 30 werewolves, I told him without blinking. I explained they owed me a debt, and if I didn't leave here with July, they would rush into the building and kill everyone here. The Count didn't have the strength to stand up to the Ozark werewolf pack. Linda, the pack alpha, owed me a debt for making the rival Owashita werewolf pack disappear, literally. So I called it in. She brought her wolf pack to back me up tonight since I had no valuables to bid with. It was the only trick I had. The Count demanded to know if I was prepared to violate guest right. And I reminded him guest right only extended to the building itself. The werewolves were outside. And, as long as he handed over July, that's where they would stay. I technically wasn't doing the threatening, and nor was the Autumn Court. The werewolf pack was threatening. I was just translating their threat. Count Oglington looked furious, and a vampire rushed at me with a dagger. Before I could respond, Selosia body-slammed the creature through one of the tall windows, it shattered the glass and landed outside, where snarling and screaming were heard, following by another chorus of howls. 
I believe they're growing impatient, I told the Count. He squeezed his auction mallet so hard it snapped in two. But he told his servants to unchain July and take her to me, which they did. There would be consequences for this later, but for now, I felt like a badass. I asked July if she could walk, and she nodded. Then we stiffly exited the ballroom with Count Oglington calling behind us. I'll remember this, Autumn Champion. I hope you do, I hollered back. It was a good moment for me. Before I could wet myself, we made our way outside into my vehicle. July climbed into the side seat, and Solosia sat in the back. It was a quiet drive back to Eureka Springs, and when we got to Gina's cafe, I knew we weren't alone. A tall and buff woman wearing biker clothes walked from around the corner of the building. She was big enough to snap me in half like a toothpick at six foot five inches. Thanks for your help, Linda, I said. And she nodded. Then she looked at July, and she nodded again. She had just come to make sure our debt was square. When I told her it was, she smiled and walked over to her motorcycle, starting it and driving off. Biker wolves, I swear. It wasn't a full moon, but with a little fame magic, Avalon had made sure the Ozark werewolf pack could change for a few hours. The hours they needed to save my skin. Avalon flew down from the loft and offered to lead July back to her parents in the Fey Realm. She said nothing but simply bowed for a moment in my direction, and then left. I did not want to imagine what she had endured, so I tried not to think about it. Mission accomplished, I sighed, leaning against my vehicle and looking up at the stars. I thanked Solosia for saving my life from the vampire, and we just sat there for a while, looking up at the night sky, unwinding from the evening's event. I remembered Count Oglington's words that he'd remember this. I'd pissed off a spider lord tonight, and even if I didn't technically break his rules by using the werewolves as a proxy, I had a sinking feeling in the pit of my gut. He would seek revenge. My mind wandered back to the Ozark werewolf pack, thinking about the natures of favors and debt. I had gone into debt with the mermaids of Lake Leatherwood by having them save my life and now the werewolves were free from my debt. In a way, Count Oglington seeking a pound of flesh for my actions tonight was another kind of debt. Since becoming the Autumn Fae, my life had become so focused around debts and favors. I wondered how much longer I could keep that up without getting killed in the process. I had to find a way out of being the Autumn Champion. I dodged too many bullets in this position, and if the monsters didn't kill me, the stress certainly would.